Hey everyone, this is Kurt Mercadante, and whether you're a first-time listener or a long-time listener, I want to thank you for choosing to spend your time with me and our guests here on Freedom Mindset Radio. You know, now more than ever in this turbulent time, it's important to share and spread our message of freedom and fulfillment around the globe. So if you get value from this podcast, I have a favor to ask. If you could go wherever you listen to this podcast and leave us a positive rating and review, that helps us carry our message further around the globe. And if you wouldn't mind, Post a link to this podcast on your Facebook page. Share it on Twitter, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, wherever you're at on social media. I want to thank you for helping us take our message to those people around the globe who truly need it. And I want to thank you for being a loyal listener. Thank you. We somehow get to a point, Kurt, where we think that we're not supposed to fail anymore. Um, And... The truth is that that is a wasted life if you are so safe that you have never failed as an adult. What does the word freedom mean to you? Only you can define it in your life and only you can decide to build the life of freedom and fulfillment you deserve. This is Freedom Mindset Radio. I'm your host, Kurt Mercadante, and we're grateful you're here. And we are live on the Freedom Media Network. Thank you so much for everyone joining us today. If you want to learn about true authenticity and how to get naked at work, join us after the break. We're joined by Vanessa Naup, and you're going to learn how to get naked at work. Well, Vanessa, thanks so much for joining us, everyone. Vanessa is an executive coach, CEO, keynote speaker, best-selling author of the new book, Naked at Work, A Leader's Guide to Fearless Authenticity. She regularly addresses C-suite audiences on how to harness the power of real authenticity, which is a word we talk about often here, not fake authenticity like we see from a lot of people, to drive measurable business results. She's coached hundreds of executives across every major industry and has developed a reputation as a candid, compassionate, and courageous leadership partner. She earned her executive coaching credentials from Georgetown University and a BA in psychology and sociology from the College of William and Mary. She spent more than 20 years as an entrepreneur, senior executive, and ultimately CEO, and she lives in a state with her husband and children in a state that I used to hold a driver's license in, the great state of Virginia. Danessa, thanks so much for joining us today. Man, it's my pleasure to be here, Kurt. Thanks for having me. I, uh, Georgetown, I have fond memories of Georgetown. I lived there for a summer while interning out in DC back in college and had um, uh, a number of friends from my high school who went there. And so we live, it was kind of like Animal House for the summer. Nice. But, um, I was recalling it yesterday because I've been watching this documentary about the, I grew up in Chicago, the Chicago Bulls called The Last Dance. Yeah. And I remember being out at Georgetown. Georgetown, my friends, when he announced that he was coming back from retirement. And so, I don't know, brought back interesting memories of Georgetown. So, um, yeah, wonderful to have you on today. Thanks so much for joining. It's my pleasure. I'm really glad to be here. I'm looking forward to our conversation. And Danessa and I both share uh, book publishers. Uh, Scribe Media, I had a great uh, uh, experience with them. J.T. McCormick, speaking of CEOs, great CEO, wonderful servant leader. Um, And Danessa, I I don't really have many set questions. Great. Um, Very conversational, except one. 
And, you know, this is the Freedom Media Network, and we ask people uh, about that word freedom and what it means to them. And it's so been it's so interesting over the past several years listening to people's definitions of freedom. Yeah, we've got economists on, and certainly they go one direction. We've had people who go to a political direction. We have people who go a authenticity uh, and being your true self and knowing your truth direction. So I'd love to pose that question to you. What does the word freedom mean to you? Well, that's a great question, Kurt. And I think that it's probably as influenced by my adult life as it is by my childhood. So my parents were U.S. Foreign Service officers. They were U.S. diplomats. And I grew up overseas. We moved uh, more than 14 times before I turned 18. And so I had the really deep privilege of living in countries in Southern Africa and in South America. And those are places where there is, at best, a wildly different definition of freedom. And um, at worst, no freedom. Um, And so for me, when I think of freedom, I actually think about it as a responsibility to serve. Um, which is we have choice and we have power and we have a responsibility to bring those forward in service to our integrated community. It, it's interesting that that responsibility, I had uh, Mark Hunter on, uh, best-selling author, sales guru. Yeah. He was on, uh, I've had him on twice. He was on here right as kind of the COVID lockdowns began. And he talked about responsibility in terms of, you know, if you have a, there was a lot of people when this began who were like, no one wants to hear from me. I can't sell. Selling, selling is dirty. I can't do these types of things. He said, listen, yeah. selling is about helping and you have a responsibility to help yeah. other people. Um, and so that uh, what came to mind as you were talking was that people kind of can over, well, people can overuse any term, right? And, and everything's a cliche if, you don't actually do it, <laughs> but usually they're right if you do. <laughs> that term servant leadership. And if you have the, yeah. the, the ability to serve, then it's your responsibility to do so. So I love that. Yeah. And we, um, it's funny you say that, Kurt. So uh, unlike a lot of people, my work has gotten much busier <laughs> since the onset of COVID um, and how we are working. Because of course, I work with leaders who are suddenly operating in this entirely new space. And at the same time, because I have that view of a responsibility, I am not a content creator. I'm, I'm a terrible marketer. Um, and I, I should probably work to get better at that. And I will, but <laughs> I dialed up content creation to a level we had never done before in our organization. So we were doing free workshops and we were doing one-on-one leader sessions and we were doing free coaching. <laughs> My poor CFO of our firm She's wonderful. And she said, hey, she's like, I am all for this. And I feel really good about what we're putting out in the world. And also, (laughs) she was like, look at our revenue in January. And we are now at a very small fraction. Let's call it one one hundredth of what we pulled in in January. And you're still out giving away everything for free. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. And I said, yeah. And, and, 
it really is that, right? Which is, I have a, uh, what's that, that movie, I have a very special set of skills. I'm not going to get the oh, right. quote. Yeah, yeah, the uh, Taken, Taken. Taken, exactly. Yeah. I have a very <laughs> special set of skills, different than his, but I have a set of skills that people need, that this is critical time. Leaders are defined in moments of crisis, and I know how to make leaders really good. And so I said, you know, now isn't the time. We'll, we'll get back to this later, and you can show me all the Excel spreadsheet and QuickBooks reports you like at another time. But until then, I'm going live and it's going to be free. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And, it, and it's interesting because we're getting more people on our webinars who stay for the whole darn thing. Um, yeah. I gave a virtual, yeah. it was supposed to be an in-person keynote, but we did virtual yesterday and man, they had so many people on. I had like 150 to 200 LinkedIn connections before wow. my presentation was even over. It was crazy. And, wow. you know, it's, it's an interesting thing because you can get, you can get uh, kind of overwhelmed uh, with free and people, people now are getting used to free. Mm -hmm. And uh, when this is over, it's going to see how it continues, right? Because, yeah. because everyone can get a free webinar now. And so what I see people is trying to go from free to free to free to free. And then they make no it um, because most webinars, let's face it, the people who get on a webinar who are shocked when maybe you have a call to action that you have to go and do, pay to, to get more, yeah, they don't get that and they don't understand it. And so it's so funny to me that you wouldn't expect that. But, um, you know, most webinars share the what, but not the how, because you pay for the how, right? <laughs> right, right. You know, I was talking to um, Cameron Harold, who's another scribe author. He's uh, he wrote Meeting Suck and uh, Free PR. <laughs> um, he's, he's a great kind of management consultant. Um, he was the head of One Eight Hundred Got Junk, and um, he and I were talking last week. And he was saying, you know, I'm stunned at the number of people who attend my stuff, come to the next one, ask me a question, but haven't implemented anything from the first one. Yeah. Yeah. And that is really true. You know, we're actually, um, so my book is Naked at Work, and we're running a pilot program now of hand-picked C-suite leaders, and they meet weekly. We'll do more of this as it goes because it's been really fantastic. But they're meeting weekly for the sole purpose of doing the work. Mm -hmm. So it is the full, here's what's in chapters one and two. How do you do that? How do you make that happen? What are your questions and what's your accountability for next week? And they're loving it because it is different than the, you know, I, I heard that. It's a couple of great ideas. I'm going to jot some things down in a notebook that I'm never going to look in again. Um, and instead, it's the, no, really, I'm seeing you next week. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that's what you need. It's, I mean, it's like a gym membership, right? I, I, I have a... I have like a, a, a lower, uh, uh, investment, just Facebook group. It's less than 30 bucks a month, but yeah. it's regular content. You have my, you have, uh, access to my videos and, but it's yeah, do it yourself. Right. It's like one guy comes in, he goes, I, I have a goal to make a million dollars and have 42 new clients over the next year. Can this group get me there? It's like, um, <laughs> okay. You get what you pay for. And I, you know, will a gym membership alone get you in shape? No, you got to like show up and do it. So that's wonderful that you're creating something where there's that accountability and, and working together and, 
Yeah. yeah. And you know, the truth is, and I think, you know, there's a great model. We're going to spend this whole thing as an advertisement for Scribe, our publisher, but um, that's not, not my intent. We're not paid to do that. Um, but they're a great model for this idea, right? Which is you can give lots of stuff away for free and people will still pay for additional content. So they, they, as part of the pandemic, they were teaching people how to write books for free. It's probably not going to have an impact on their overall author programs, on how they recruit, on how they think about what they're putting out into the world, on their elite writer partnerships, no impact at all except to grow it. Because if anything, people get in and think, oh man, this is a little trickier than I may have thought. Exactly. I mean, you, you can look at, um, uh, and I believe I saw that you've, you've completed a marathon, but you can look okay, at a, a half lot marathon, of things. to be clear, half marathon. Yes. Half marathon. Okay. Um, you, you can look at a number of things you know, I, I ran track and, and did some of those things. It's like, okay, I read an article about it. Great. Yeah. But that's different than having a coach getting you up, you know, <laughs> making sure that you're running it, pushing you doing those types of things. Um, but again, it's that what versus the how and, and, leading you across there. And, you know, we help people launch podcasts. We help people, we do ghostwriting content, those types of things. And I can show them exactly how to do it. But, you know, it's like, I'm a financial advisor. I don't want to do that stuff. You know, it's like, all right, we'll do it for you or do it with you, whichever, whichever you want. So, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting, uh, it, it's been an interesting, I had a PR and ad agency before and kind of getting into working people and coaching people on personal branding and, and doing those types of things. It's been an interesting psychological class yeah. for me on how people work on how people invest yeah. and you, you just with different price points. And I used to think, well, the more they invest, they're definitely in it. And I've learned that's not necessarily the case. People will pay a lot of money and never show up. It's, it's, it's insane. So yeah. <laughs> right, right. Well, and I am, I am the poster child for thinking that something is easy and fun. In fact, it's a joke in my marriage. I'll tell my husband, oh, I want to do this. It's, and he's like, oh, is it easy and fun? Because that'll take six days. <laughs> right, right. I'm the poster child for the hack video with the music in the background, you know, the time lapse. I'm like, see, it's totally easy. And that has bitten me again and again. And it's actually why I wrote Naked at Work the way that I did was it is the step-by-step -step guide to exactly how you show up authentic at work. Because for a lot of us, we can look at the, oh, there's that person and they're doing a beautiful job. But the how to get from where I sit to that place doesn't feel any, there's no more substance to it than a time-lapse video of a DIY project, right? right? You need sort of the actual mechanics. And that was a big motivator for the book because I am constantly hooked by, you know, a, a 30 second video that makes this look easy. That is my life. Right. I, I, I search and follow those in abundance. <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely, I want to get into the book, authenticity, what that means. Want to talk about failure. You talk about failure a lot. You gave a yeah. Disrupt HR speech on failure. Uh, we'd love to actually talk to you about Disrupt HR because I gave my speech and it was an interesting, they, oh, they have yeah. an interesting sure. stick, stick with Disrupt HR. Um, but I also, you know, you mentioned getting from here to there. Um, can you let our audience know, you know, you're, you're right now, you're a best-selling author. You've been a CEO, yeah. you coach CEOs, uh, keynote speaker. Can you reverse engineer it a little bit to, to let our audience know how you got from there to where you're at now? 
Yeah. Um, and I don't think your audience should think about this as a path to get there, Kurt, because it really was sort of a jungle gym of this is the next interesting thing and look where I am. Um, so I started my career and my life pretty straight and narrow. So I, I was a rule follower. I had things to do. I was checking off lists. And so I graduated. Uh, well, I'll start before I graduated from college a thousand years ago. I got to the second semester of my senior year and I realized that psych majors either go to grad school or they get paid nothing. And I wanted neither of those things. Um, so I pivoted quickly into corporate America using some leadership expertise I'd had and I'd worked in businesses in the summer. And so I grew up with Capital One and I was there at the exact right time. I was there just before they became huge and said they were willing to hand over to this hungry kind of 22 year old kid, huge responsibility. So at one point I was sort of the youngest woman who'd ever been promoted to my level within that organization. And I had huge freedom. So I was doing all of that, really feeling good about checking it off, but not really feeling so fulfilled by what I was doing. And then in my mid-30s, I know this is a shock to you that I'm past my mid-30s, Kurt, but in my mid-30s, six months ago, I, uh, way more, try a decade ago, um, in my mid-30s, uh, my life took a whole left turn. So I had this marriage that I was pretty sure was rock solid, and it wasn't. Hmm. I didn't like my job anymore. And I just, I was kind of, as Brene Brown calls it, face down in the arena. Like I had gotten smacked in the face by the ball. I got up, I got smacked again. I was down. And I looked around and I thought, you know what? I did everything right. I checked all the boxes and I'm still fucking here. Yeah. And so now I'm going to do what I want to do. And so it, that was a gift because it released me from this idea of if you do it all right, you end up here. And I, I had the experience of I did it all right and I ended up really far away from there. Yeah. And so I might as well do what I want. And so I eventually um, rebuilt a life that was really different than what I'd had before. I started to look at once I was stable as a single mom, leaving my job. And when I left my job and enrolled in Georgetown school, I literally, Kurt, for the first time in my life, I enrolled only because it sounded interesting to me. So I'm here in this prestigious program. Everybody's standing up on day one in the cohort talking about the businesses they're going to build. And I was like, I just, I thought this sounded cool. <laughs> no plan. Um, I accidentally built a huge blog with a national following about what it was like to be a single mom co-parenting um, and then a blended family. Like none of this had any direction or purpose other than the common thread of I'm going to do what I want and what is interesting to me. And so the side effect of that is you get really, really good at what is interesting to you. You know, if, if our audience thinks about like the things that they love, you're probably pretty freaking great at it because you spend lots of time at it. And so that's what happened to me. I got really hooked by how people think and how they lead. And I had this breadth of experience as both an entrepreneur. I had a business in there for several years while I was in and out of Capital One and as a writer and as a senior VP, right? So I had this sort of mishmash of experience that all of a sudden I thought, man, I can bring so much forward to serve clients. And I've, I'm not bringing it always success, right? You're not hiring me because I'm 
you know, squeaky clean. Yeah. I'm a little banged up and battered and that's better for us all. Right. And so that is the path that got me here is it was this twisty turny place, but really started to gel when I got to a place of this is my, what do they say? This is your one wild and beautiful life, wild and wonderful life. This is it. Like there's no yeah. second act. And I did a bunch of stuff that didn't serve me and I'm done. Um, and that was when things started to take a shift. That's awesome. I, I do want to, uh, the, before we came on, you were trying to do the green screen. Yeah. I think it's still on. And so now it's almost kind of, you look like you're, uh, uh, fading into like you got snapped by Thanos. Your chair is disappearing <laughs> in the background. <laughs> okay. Let me see if I can turn it off. I actually, thought I turned it off. It's actually kind of cool because I started to see, like, I thought I was hallucinating. Oh yeah. No, I'm going to say that's, yeah. I'm going to just materialize. Is oh, that yeah, any better? Yeah, no, no. Look, okay. all of a sudden behind you, things started to appear. And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. What's right. going on? I'm going to manifest my destiny right here on the show, Kurt. It's going to happen. <laughs> that was, it was actually kind of a cool thing. Or, or like, maybe it was like Star Trek. You were, you were going to, you know, uh, engage and, uh, and so something, I, there's a number of things I, I wanted to touch on there that are, that are so interesting. And, and, um, in my book, I talk about hitting my wall and, and realizing, you know, I had a very profitable PR and ad agency that I shut down overnight because wow. I hit that same place you were, I was face down in the arena and just, you know, but a lot of people are, they go through that for years and they won't allow themselves to stop and look at you know, what am I really good at? What do I really want to do? And sometimes they feel guilty about that. Yeah. And, you know, it's hard sometimes knowing where's that line of I'm giving up too soon. Mm -hmm. I, I got to tough it out and keep going versus, OK, this ain't working, you know, and I, and I ask that question a lot. And it, it, it's kind of in, independent. I see it seems to, to the individual person, but it's something that hits so I would say everyone at some point and some people just keep pushing on it for, for like 10 or 15 years before they hit a wall. And some like us are like, okay, that's it. We're changing. Well, and to be clear, you know, whenever we bullet point our lives, um, it's hard to tell timelines. So one of the things that I learned about myself in this process, Kurt, so in the dissolution of my marriage, a chapter of that was I was going to save my marriage and I was going to do that by going to marriage counseling by myself. And so the therapist, who was a very kind woman, was like, hey, so this isn't generally how it works. <laughs> Let's yeah. talk about the thought process that got you here, right? Let's talk about why you think you can muscle through. And by the way, how we do anything is how we do everything. So this idea that I could just make this work on my own, kind of mine. And I said, you know, he's not here now, but he will be here. He's a good man. He's a great father. He's a great teacher. All true. He's a great guy. And she said, so first, you haven't said anything about him as a husband. And second, what data do you have that things will be different? And so as I walked through that, what it created for me is the awareness, Kurt, that if we were on a medical television drama, 
I would be the person doing CPR two hours after the person was pronounced dead. <laughs> like that's who I am. And my therapist who we formed a relationship over that time in my life got to the point where she labeled it as pathologically optimistic. <laughs> Interesting. And so I think what you get to is a place of awareness about yourself. And so that has been a gift. I carry it forward. And so now, Kurt, I'm much faster to move because I think about, okay, this is how I see that. Would a person who is not pathologically optimistic see it that way? Yeah. Or it's much the same way people who have anxiety are trained to reality test it, right? Like, would someone else be anxious about this? Can I check yeah. with that? And so I think that's how you get to understanding and to moving faster and faster as you move through your life is you bring forward the lessons and the awareness from it, right? Mm -hmm. And so I didn't move quickly in my marriage. My goodness. I mean, I have a sweet little girl who was born in the middle. And if I'd moved quickly, I wouldn't have had her. But we're talking years, right? But that lesson brought me to other things. And now I look at things and I'm like, oh, I'm out. Yeah. This, has been, this has been real, but I'm, I'm all done. And it's because I know kind of who, who I am and how I see the world. I don't try to change that, you know, but there are upsides and downsides to being pathologically optimistic and I take them all. So, so segueing from that into authenticity, is that a big part of authenticity, you know, kind of knowing who you are, yeah. um, uh, how you see the world, becoming aware of it, accepting of it, but also harnessing it so you can use it for good? <laughs> yes, Kurt, it's like you wrote the book. Exactly. Um, I think sometimes people think about authenticity as sort of I am who I am and, and bring it like meet me here. This is my place. And that's not it at all. To me, authenticity is an awareness of yourself and an awareness of what serves you and what limits you about that. And really an intentional choice about how you bring that forward in service to other people. And so I don't tell that story, for example, with clients, unless they're in a place where they need to sort of think about how could self-awareness happen here, right? Because right. a client relationship isn't about me. This conversation isn't about me, right? But that piece of awareness might be able to help some of our folks listening. And so when I think about that frame on what do I know about myself and what I bring to this, what's the lens through which I see the world, and how can I better understand that, actually meet people where they are, which is one of the core tenets of authenticity and leadership is in order to bring anyone along on a journey, you've got to show up where they are first and walk with them. Interesting. You know, that, that part about um, authenticity not being, here's who I am, bring it, take it or leave it. Yeah. Um, that can be right, but I guess it depends. So, so if you're trying to be the CEO of a financial company, yeah. Um, wow, I I don't know if you heard that. That was we're having a storm here. So yeah, um, I did one of these last year while a hurricane was around us, and at one point I got there's a window here to my left, and this wind hit, and I I thought that was it. I thought, and I was on a live stream, um, but. You know, if, if so, I did a I did a, a virtual presentation yesterday with financial advisors, right? Yeah. And some of them, they work with pension funds, they work with yeah. churches, they work with certain things like that. Um, 
But depending on which way you go, you know, I used to do the suit and tie. I just won't do that anymore. And I wear T-shirts and I've been known to drop F-bombs on stages and, and things like that. Yeah. Where does that come in in terms of in your mind of authenticity versus uh, yeah. something different? You know? Yeah. You say to the woman who just dropped, dropped an F-bomb on your show. Oh, um, well, that's, hey, trust me. Uh, so, there is no there are no language barriers. This show is marked explicit. So. so that's a great example, though. Right. So I speak like a sailor. I would like to. And Lord knows my mother would like me to not do that. Right. <laughs> um, and I am keenly aware that that will interfere with my ability to connect with people in some audiences. Right. And so sometimes I choose it. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I do it with the awareness of that could create interference. So a, a tenant we walk through in the book is this idea, and it's Tim Galway's idea. Uh, he used to be a tennis coach, and he was famous for getting people to play tennis who'd never held a racket. It was just super grainy footage out there if you ever need to watch it. But essentially, he says that your performance at any given task is simply a matter of your potential to perform that task minus any interference. And so you want to think about your authenticity as bringing you closer and reducing interference. So an example I give is I worked with this really high-powered investment banker. He was incredibly smart. And he was being looked at for a promotion and I was hired because his socks were too loud. Wow. And so, I mean, the guy did not have a full face tattoo, right? We're not, (laughs) but in the environment he was in, his socks distracted from his message. Hmm. And so he could choose wear the socks and no, wear the socks and a dress, don't wear the socks. And that's not asking him to not be authentic. Sometimes people are like, oh, that socks are about, those socks are about who he is. He should be allowed to do that. For sure he's allowed to do that. That's the definition of freedom. He just may not get as far as he might go without it. And so the the analogy I use, Kurt, is you and I are authentic people. We are authentic people as we have this conversation. We are authentic people as we lay our head on the pillow and talk to our lover at night. We are authentic people when we call our mother and report what we did in the day. And we are certainly authentic people as we hang out with the folks we went to college with. (laughs) However, all of those versions of ourselves do not show up with all those different audiences. Your mother is not going to hear every story of you hanging out in Georgetown with your buddies that summer. Yeah. Right? Right. But both of those are authentic versions of yourself. I think sometimes when we think about authenticity, we use it as a mask to say, you know, this is who I am, take it or leave it. But the truth is, each of us contains multitudes. We have lots of versions of our authentic selves, all of which we can tap into. And the key is to tap into the one that reduces the interference between you and the person you're trying to reach. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. I, I, um, it's okay. And, and it can, like you say, it can be situationally. Right. Um, and it doesn't mean you're not being true to yourself. Um, 
Although I do tell my mom about those weird summers away, which is probably too much. But, but, um, you know, I get people all the time who um, actually my disrupt HR speech. I was the last of whatever, 12, and I dropped some serious F-bombs on that stage. And it was the first video I ever had on LinkedIn, over 300,000 views. Wow. But a lot of people said, I would never work with you because you used that language. Yeah. Okay. I've built a company that was like, okay, where I'm at, where it was like, that's fine. I have empathy for that. Um, but we're just not going to be a good fit. And, um, actually I turned down a client yesterday who I could tell over, we had just been interacting for four days, submitted an agreement and I withdrew it because I said, you know, I could just tell it's not going to be a good fit. And he said, how could you possibly know that? And I said, well, it's my spidey sense. It's right. hundred percent of the time, but you just, you have that feeling that, that in certain areas, like you said, you're free to wear whatever socks you want, but not in this workplace. Right. I mean, (laughs) right. And so we have to think about sort of what's more important. And the other thing too, is for leaders, and I touch on this in the book, but talk about it a lot with my clients is it is incumbent upon us to also understand the lens through which we're seeing the world when we view others. So I need to know, Kurt, if I'm the kind of person who, if you drop an F-bomb, I close that door. And I need to know what that might be costing me. Right. I need to know, you know, we think about executive presence. There's a great study uh, about executive presence by the Center for Talent Innovation. And it talks about the components of presence. And 6% of executive presence is still, in this day and age, made up by how we look. Yeah. And as my client experienced, right? And one of the things, it's not fair, it's not appropriate, it's not what we would desire, but it is what it is. One of the things in there is that people of color who wear their hair naturally, black people especially who wear natural hair, are viewed as having lower presence. Hmm. Well, what I would say is as leaders, it's incumbent upon us to remember that that is at play and to step into a place where we reject that definition. So where I notice that if Kurt curses, I don't want to hire him. Well, that's kind of about me. Let me think about, let me look closer. Is that the right decision for this organization? And it might be right. If it's a church, it might be, but it might not be. And so really thinking about the lens through which you view the world, not only in your own authenticity, but also in how you evaluate others becomes critically important and a responsibility of leaders. Hey, everyone, this is Kurt Mercadante, and I want to thank you for being a loyal listener to Freedom Mindset Radio. You know, in this chaotic time of coronavirus chaos, it's so important for people to have a process to define, create, and live their lives of freedom and fulfillment. I lay out just that process in my Amazon bestseller, Five Pillars of the Freedom Lifestyle. And in light of this turbulent time, I've dropped the Kindle price of my book to $4.50. That's a more than $2 drop in price. I do this because I truly believe that this is a process that will help those who need freedom and fulfillment now. Perhaps it's you. Perhaps you have spent the past five years, 10 years, 15 years trading away your freedom and fulfillment for a false sense of security and a toxic job and a lifestyle that doesn't fulfill you. And now you're realizing that security was an illusion and you want your freedom now. 
go to fivepillarsoffreedom.com right now. There, you can get chapter one of my book absolutely free, and there's a link to purchase the book. As I said, we have dropped the price to $4.50 for the Kindle version of my book. I know the five pillars of the freedom lifestyle will help you define, create, and start living your freedom lifestyle now. Thanks again for being a listener. I wish you a day, a week, a year of freedom and abundance. Yeah, I love I love where this is just said. I'm so I'm a Gallup strengths trainer. Yeah. And um you know, one of the one of the things that that we talk about a lot is the kind of when you hire some people just do round peg square hole for a variety of reasons. Yeah. Some meaning some being I need someone a butt in a seat who can do powerpoints. Yeah. I don't care who they are, what they are and a couple things related to that, you know, a resume doesn't tell you everything, right. In terms of how, of those things and what their strengths are and what they're good at versus, and some of that is you sit across from someone and maybe it's their style and maybe there's certain things you can tell that they just grade on you having nothing to do with their appearance, but knowing, like you said, having that awareness to look past that, but also with that, I mean, a big part is a big part of that, um, from a leadership perspective, even beyond just the physical appearance or the, that person grates on me, a realization that your team is more than just (laughs) your ad, you know, the, the attitude of the CEO, the stereotypes of the CEO, uh, the mood of the CEO, meaning that I don't like that person. So for instance, I worked for an organization and we did advertising and, you know, advertising campaign should be based on what's effective and what moves the public. It became the only ads that were released were what was liked by the head of the organization. So all the polls, we would, we would back it up with polling because we knew that this was going to happen. In the end, it was what does the president like? And that's the ad that goes out. But I guess the same could be said for hiring for anything else. If that's the lens, unless this particular president and CEO is, knows everything and knows all and is so wise, right? That's that's real danger for an organization, isn't it? Oh yeah, and that's why vulnerability and authenticity is so important, is it allows safe space for other voices. Is, and man, we just do this wrong, right? So we promote people because they are experts. We promote people because they know the answers. And then actually clinging to your ability to know answers, clinging to your expertise will tank you as a senior leader. Because it's not about that. It's not about what you crystallized. No, it can't be because it's too broad. It has to be about how you assimilate information. How aware are you of your perspective? How do you bring people in and have conversations? Yeah. You know, so we are seeing, no matter your politics, we're seeing at a national level, when we have a smaller and smaller path to information, when only certain sources are accepted, whether that be the president's views on the pandemic, whether that be your own personal news source, right? When you sit in an echo chamber, you have fewer and fewer new ideas. Yeah. You just grind yourself in with what you have. And the irony is we're in a time where companies are desperate for innovation, desperate for creativity. And the answer to that is to blow the doors off the place, bring yeah. in everybody, 
listen to everybody. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And, and certainly at this time, and, you know, I make it known on this program, I used to work in politics for a long time and I am transpartisan, anti-partisan. I don't like anyone, you know, I, I, <laughs> I, and I don't trust anyone. Because I worked in the trade association world where we would buy our experts and the other trade association on the other side would buy their experts. And we were both, they were peer reviewed studies and it came down to which one do you believe? Because we both had facts. Yeah. And I think right now, and I think people are starting to see now that we're a couple months into this, that the danger of having, I can be, like you said, an expert in one area, but everything has a consequence, a ripple effect. So I can solve for X, but I've created 17 other things over here. So we can focus on a chart and a graph on COVID and everything else be damned and that's it and we're we're focusing on bringing that down but it's like okay what about 14.9 percent unemployment what can we at least talk about that and i think that's why you know to to kind of be fair and balanced right i hate that term but you know like during for instance during the war the iraq war everyone there were certain sides saying well the experts said the experts said these things are there the experts and the other side said no you need to you can't just listen to the military that's why we have a commander-in-chief right who is non-military and but a lot of those same people now are just saying listen to that expert listen to this you know that it's like well there's other things when you translate that to a company certainly someone who's very good at staring at a spreadsheet you can move numbers up and down, yeah. but like what's happening way over here, right? <laughs> right? I mean, and so, you know, in a very microcosm, I'll, I'll take it at a really small scale, Kurt, which is, so schools let out, you know, what do we start summer in the middle of March this year? Schools let out and immediately all of us are faced with this idea of homeschooling our children. Yeah. Here's the thing, I am not a teacher. That is not my role in my children's life. I am an informal teacher, right? I'm a teacher of our values. I'm a teacher of how we treat people, but I am not a teacher of fifth grade math, like proven, not the best choice for that. I don't understand why we don't carry ones anymore. I spend way too much time focused on the past. Like it's not good. And so my take on that from the very beginning was a little bit shocking to other parents, which was I'm not doing this. Right. Like I'm not doing this because it's not my level of expertise. It creates an enormous amount of stress for the children and for me. And oh, by the way, we're in a global pandemic that hasn't happened for a century. And so my job is to really lean into my role as mom and stepmom in our house, which is we are safe. We are comfortable. We are talking about things. We are understanding things. We are creating time together. And your math be damned. I'm sorry. That's not my jam. I can't do that. Yeah. And the reason is that I understand my limits. I mean, I have had episodes trying to teach my children things in the past where we have ended up in very dark places. (laughs) It's not good for anyone. And, but that's the truth, right? Is sometimes we do that. We hone in on, you know, now this is happening. And so I'm going to step up and be in this place. You know, I was listening to a a person who was a former teacher. I think it might've been the activist and writer, Glennon Doyle. She was like, you know, all of you teaching at home, I'm not suddenly become becoming a scientist because we need them. 
Like, (laughs) I'm going to do what I can do and let other people kind of live into that and trust that this well-woven society we live in that includes people of all kinds of expertise will bring that forward. And I think sometimes we just sort of narrow our bubble and limit what our options are. Yeah, we uh, we've been homeschooling now for 13 years, our four kids. And See, so you are teachers then you yeah, have that skill set. We are and we're not. We, we basically unschool, you know, because we long ago realized we're not the experts and our kids, we let them find the experts. It's amazing how that happens. Yeah. And so a lot of people would come. Oh, what do I do? What are your tricks for homeschooling? And they couple, some of them came to the realization. And what you said is exactly perfect. Listen. They're not actually getting that much done between March and May, quite honestly. But, you yeah. know, yeah. And like you said, we're in a pandemic. The world is ending or whatever. Right. Now we're learning more about it. Right. Like hug your kids, you know, let them it, they're not going to fall suddenly behind and be, you know. But the other thing is there there were some there were some uh, folks who have realized that they could get done in an hour and a half. Yeah. what was happening. And, and I, one parent told me, I realized that the school day, um, 75% of the school day is crowd control. Yeah. And you know, my kids sat for an hour and a half and I realized, Oh my gosh, you know? And so, but, but you're, you're exactly right. I think we have to, um, there were parents who, uh, I know, and, and, and who completely shut down everything they were doing, yeah. um, like their business, to try and figure out the schooling and came to a grinding halt. And so what happened was they weren't doing anything, yeah. right? They weren't doing schooling. They weren't doing the work. They weren't yeah. tending to their family and their self-care. It was like they clogged their day with things they don't do well. Yeah. And so nothing happened. Yeah. You know, it's that concept of interference again, right? Yeah. Is, is this getting you closer to what you want for your family, for your children, or is this getting in the way? Yeah. And you, the beauty of the freedom of this all is you get to decide. And once you decide, you get to sort of grease those rails and get to where you want to go quickly or wonder, I keep hitting up against this. Maybe it's time to do something about this thing that's in my way. And and part of that too, when you talk about freedom and you have that freedom to choose, it's easy to get into a corporate structure or even an entrepreneurial structure where you're building your own business, where you're on the track that you've always wanted to be on, meaning it's a title or a dollar amount. And so you're so focused on that, that you're about to get this promotion to a job that, you know, deep down, you are going to hate, you're going to loathe. It's for an organization you despise, but you feel like you'll be letting your 15 year old self down, your mom down, your whatever down, if you don't take it. Are we back? I hope so. uh, Our power. Okay, good. I can hear you. You disappeared. You froze for a second. So I didn't know if what you were saying had just stunned you into silence or. (sighs) I think that was it. No, our power went out. And so our cable went out. So I'm, I'm now broadcasting from my phone hotspot. So uh, thank you for that. It got really, it's really ugly outside right now. So anyways, um, where was I, what were we talking about? So we were talking about, (laughs) yes, before the world ended, the sort of freedom to choose. And you were talking about this concept of you worry about disappointing former versions of yourself or disappointing other people. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what do you tell someone like that? I'm I'm sure you've run into that where it's like, listen, 
I've always said I was going to be the first blank blank CEO. Uh, I I've always said I was going to be the CEO, and I. But it's like you know in your heart of hearts, I hate this company. <laughs> I hate what I. You know how do you how do you deal with interference that is sort of self created based on external expectations. External meaning other people's societies or perhaps your 15 year old self. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's hard, right? So one of the lessons that I think we teach that is has a really dark side to it is that we don't quit things. You know, we have this negative view of quitters when I think there is a beautiful grace in quitting things that no longer serve you. And so the question I ask folks is, Kind of for the sake of what did you want to do that? And is that still real for you? Does it serve you or is it limiting you? The other yeah. thing that happens too is I often work with folks, especially under the guise of this servant leadership umbrella. This is the dark side of that, who will disappoint themselves a hundred times before they disappoint someone else. And so where did we decide that you are last? that your opinion doesn't yeah. even matter as much as a stranger's. You know, I noticed times in my own life where I would, you know, be researching a decision. I'd know in my gut what it was, and I'd take some article off the internet and decide that I should do it that way. That person doesn't know me. Nobody's living this life. Yeah. And so that doesn't mean that we fly in the face of all data, right? But our job as leaders is to be open to all sources of wisdom, right? And that's a little coachy, right? So how about all data? That feels a little more businessy. Um, but all of those avenues can be open to us. And when they're yeah. open, then we can decide. But if you find yourself naturally shutting down, like I need to really muscle this through, or I got to finish what I started, or, you know, I should, any sentence that starts with, I should is an indicator that you are serving someone other than yourself. And yeah. it's worth exploring. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Bobby, the, uh, you could tell my my power is going out as we're sitting here talking and we may be a tornado here somewhere soon uh yeah. somewhere nearby do we need it's to take crazy. a break i'm i want you to be no safe i think we're good my, my wife hasn't my wife hasn't come up here and gotten me yet so i think we're good we're okay. good um <laughs> It was interesting, though. I, I you know, I if, if, for anyone watching, seeing me all of a sudden disappear into the dark, it's uh, it's uh, it, it's it's not me. It's <laughs> right. Well, especially at the beginning so, when my chair was disappearing, it's a very supernatural conversation we're having here. <laughs> yes, yes, we're calling down the lightning and the thunder today. It, right. It's uh, it's fascinating, powerful. So, um, let's talk about failure. Yeah. And you talk about failure in the book. Um, you did a disrupt HR talk about failure. Uh, you know, one of my favorite historical figures is Thomas Edison. Yeah. Fascinating. Who was famous for going from failure to failure to failure to failure and being fine with it. Right. And he looked at failure as something other than failure. He looked at it as a learning. Um, in his book, uh, Edmund Morris's new book about Edison, at one point, his laboratory uh, was on fire, like part of his plant. And instead of being down in the dumps, he actually was like on a hill 
overlooking the fire and called his family out and was like, you're never going to see a site like this again. I'll rebuild the thing, but you're never going to see, you know, it's like how many of us could do, you know, sometimes I drop a pen and I drop F-bombs like this is the worst thing ever, you know, right? So I'd love to say, you know, how do you define failure? How do you work failure into that concept of authenticity and defining uh, who you are maybe in a way that doesn't provide interference? Yeah. So I think it's about divorcing failure from shame and hmm. welcoming the pain and annoyance and humiliation and frustration and grief of it. Like it just yeah. is. Sometimes people say, think when I talk about welcoming failure that I'm cool with it, right? That I'm uh, that it feel that I have some kind of magic way to make it feel better. I do not. It sucks, right? And yeah. it's rich with opportunity for learning. So both of those things can be true. Um, and so for me, I think. I honor the grief of it on that went really differently than I thought, whether it's carrying the pen or running the business or ending the marriage, right? That went differently than I thought. And, and I'm, it's, I'm allowed to have a set of emotions about that. And I'm also yeah. allowed to really dig into it and understand what did I do that got me there? What was the circumstance? How could that be different? What can I do differently? What did I learn? What's good because of that, right? And I think sometimes we sort of glaze failure in this coat of shame and then think, oh, I can never look over there again. No one can ever know about that. And what we realize or yeah. what we miss is that there's all this richness under that. And so I say, welcome all the discomfort with it and dig through it. There's more stuff there, right? Sometimes when I would write... Um, I uh, had for years an active blog about parenting as a single parent and uh, remarrying and co-parenting with um, under the name Kate Chapman. I wrote about it anonymously because my children were um, old enough that their friends could search them on the internet. And I would often get readers who would hear me talk about my relationship with my children's father and say, oh, you must have had an easy divorce. And I don't know about your listeners who've been divorced. I don't know, Kurt, in your history, if you've been divorced, but I do not believe there is any such thing as an easy divorce. Like divorce is defined by heartbreak, by real heartbreak. And man, can you learn a ton about yourself there? And so, <laughs> sure. that, you know, so I think it's the power of the and in failure on it sucks and it's awful. And Edison probably did bring his family out and hit the moment where he saw it, he probably dropped an F-bomb, right? <laughs> but it's that moment of, I'm not gonna have a time to learn about this again. I'm not gonna have a time to see this blaze. And so let me figure out who I am when my factory is burning down or when my laboratory is burning down or when my life is burning down. Let me see who, what I'm made of. Hello. Oh my goodness. Yeah. We're, we're having an interesting, uh, act of God here is, is just, uh, the cable and the internet and my cell phone went out. So, uh, thank you for, for bearing with us here. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Everyone's experiencing the storm together. Yes, yes. So you were saying at, when you cut out, you talk about Thomas Edison and, and the failure and failure and incorporating failure into your life. Not incorporating yeah. into your life, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. No, I was just going to say that. Um, I, welcoming both the failure and the negative feelings and the shame and the humiliation and the learning that you get when watching your lab or your life burn down is really powerful. You can do both of those things um, and you can learn a lot about yourself in them. And so failure is incredibly painful and incredibly rich. And I've gotten to the point where I... I'd like to say seek it, although, you know, in my, in my, when I strive for safety, I would still rather be home watching Netflix with cozy socks on, but where I've gotten to the place where I think, all right, so I'm going to try X. I'm probably going to suck at it because I've never done it before. And then we're going to figure out because I'm going to be better at it the next time. Let's get right. going. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think we, um, that is how we learn. We sometimes, we somehow get to a point, Kurt, where we think that we're not supposed to fail anymore. Um, and the truth is, uh, that is a wasted life. If you are so safe that you have never failed as an adult. Yeah. And that, that's, that's very easy to do and to stay in that comfort zone, even if it's a comfort zone of misery, yeah. which is kind of, it's safe, it's secure, uh, it's responsible, it's practical, yeah. but I hate it, but I'm just going to yeah. stick here for the next 20 years or till I'm 65 or whatever yeah. it is. Right. <laughs> yeah, man, this is, this is it. And you, you can bring something else to the world if you're in that situation, but it's hard and it takes a lot of courage. Well, Danessa, I want to thank you for joining us today amidst the sound and the fury of my storms and power outages and everything and you and Thanos almost snapping away right. in your room and your, in your chair. But it's, it's been extremely insightful, insightful. Um, I was going to say exciting. It, it has been exciting as well, but insightful. Um, Danessa, people want to, obviously they can get your book on Amazon, but yeah. they want to learn more about you. They want to hire you. They want you to speak with them. Where's the best place for them to go? Yeah, so they can find me over at DanessaNapp.com, uh, which I'm sure you'll have in the, in the show notes, but it's just myname.com. And then also at our firm, Avenue Aid Advisors, and we would be happy to help. I think, you know, often, Kurt, when people see things like this, they think, oh, you know, I'm not sure, or I, I, should, I should apply this or try it on my own. You can do that. We're happy to do that. We're also happy to pick up the virtual phone, answer the email. We exist to make leaders brave and candid and compassionate, and we will do that any way we can. Well, that's awesome. And, and as everyone knows, if you miss this, watch the replay, still come in, shout out, give us a shout out, let us know your questions, your comments. We're going to break this up into a number of news stories on freedommedianetwork.com in the coming weeks. Come in, enjoy it, enjoy small bites, the whole darn thing. Danessa, thank you so much for joining us on Freedom Media Network. Man, thanks so much for having me. I was glad to be here, Kurt. Have a good afternoon. I hope things get drier there soon. Thanks. Yes, yes. It's uh, the trees are no longer bending, uh, from what I can see, and, and <laughs> we, we have cable and the lights on, so, yeah. so that's wonderful. Uh, well, thank you, thank you everyone for joining. Thank you so much, Danessa. Thank you.